Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Six Questions for the CMO, brought to you by Brandwatch. My name is Martin Kelly and I'm your host. This week we are in for a real treat because we're joined by Stefan DeLang, who is currently CMO with Booktopia, however has an eclectic career that he takes us through, including being a sergeant in the Danish army, setting up his own jewellery business and is also currently CEO Magazine's Marketing Executive of the Year. Stefan, you're welcome. Hi, Stefan. So could you just tell me, just give me a quick bio on yourself, how you got here, etc. Yeah, hi, Martin. And thanks, uh, thanks for having me on. Um, so yeah, I've, uh, I've been in Australia here for probably eight years now, and I probably have a bit of an unconventional journey. Uh, originally Danish, uh, grew up doing a lot of sales, um, doing a lot in marketing, uh, focusing on digital in a very early age. So um, so I went out and started my own company and selling selling stuff online uh, uh, probably 15 years ago or something like that. And, and since I started that company up, uh, I kind of stayed in the entrepreneurial world, starting up digital companies, starting up agencies, starting up e-commerce companies uh, for many years and and kind of took my uh, took my route through uh, the entrepreneurial journey, um, which brought me to Italy later where I had some companies in Italy and to Indonesia where I had some companies in Indonesia or a company in Indonesia. Uh, and, and while I was living in Indonesia, Bali to be exact, uh, I met an Australian girl and fell, fell in love. And, uh, and that's really the reason why I came here to Australia in the first place. And after having spent probably 15, 10, 15 years starting up a lot of companies and doing the 18-hour hostel for, for many, many years, it was time to do something new and try something new, particularly when we learned that we were going to be parents. Uh, so there was a new chapter for me that needed to start. And, and, uh, and that's when we moved to Australia, where she, where she was from. So uh, coming in, coming over here, one of the biggest things for me was, of course, to adjust to a new life of uh, of no longer, you know, starting and operating your own companies and the freedom and and also the chains that 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 are connected to having your own company and the responsibilities around that. Um, but I, but I wanted to go out and be there for her and be there for our child and, and, and decided to go out and uh, take a normal job. So I had to write a CV for the first time in God knows how many years. Um, I did that and went out and you know got got started here in Australia. Got at a got a company that wanted to take a chance on uh, on somebody who didn't have a name for themselves, any career or anything like that, and, and came from overseas, uh, so a foreigner, a, a migrant, if you will. Um, and within that, uh, I got a chance with a company called The Co-op and started up there and became the general manager of digital and marketing over there and led a team of marketers, UX, uh, owning the design and development and the marketing for the for, for the company for a number of years. Uh, later came into Booktopia, where I today sit as the chief marketing officer here in Booktopia. And Booktopia is a pure play online retailer that sells books online just here in Australia and in New Zealand. We've got 6 million products on our website. And we sell a product roughly every 3.8 seconds or something like that. So pretty big operation. Uh, we're shipping out somewhere between 35 to 50, uh, 35 to 40,000 uh, books every single day. So large-scale, pure-play uh, online retailer, which is, again, what I've kind of cut my, my teeth on many, many, many years ago as well. Uh, I run a team of marketers in-house and predominantly work with an in-house team of experts and specialists that's, uh, that's, uh, that's growing uh, the in-house uh, group brands. So we have two retail brands. We have Utopia and we have a company called Angus and Robertson. So we operate two websites and roughly, depending on the time and operation, around three to three to seven different marketplaces, depending on the situation. So yeah, decent operation here in, in e-commerce. Cool. And can I ask, where do you get your information from? Like 
do you, is there any specific podcast you listen to, any blogs you read, any any authors that you must follow type thing? Yeah, I think there's a lot really. So um, I, I'm I'm one of those people who consume a, a, an absolute ton of, of different kinds of content. I don't really have any particular format that I'm particularly in in favor of. I both do audio books, uh, do physical books, I do uh, podcasts and, and a lot of... Uh, uh, academia as well. Uh, some of the places where I really look to, if you really want want some great books around around brand and and marketing in general, is probably Byron Sharp's uh, How How Brands Grow. Um, the long and short of it with Les Bennett and Peter Field, which is really looking at marketing effectiveness and the growth of brands in a in a more wholesome uh, level in a in an industry that's incredibly we've overcomplicated as marketers really. Um, and, and I think what they do really, really well is trying to find ways to uh, uncomplicate things by looking at it more holistically and looking at it. It's not a matter of having a particular favor of one channel or one kind of tactic, but looking at the whole mix of it and, and see how that impacts brands and, and the effectiveness of what we're doing. Um, I look a lot to the research from the Australian Ear and Bass, Inver Bass, Bass Institute, which is, uh, again, looking very much at uh, the evidence that, that can be find, found in uh, in how to do marketing and how to do advertising and the effectiveness around that, which is a lot of great, great data is coming out from, from those academics there. Um, then podcast-wise, I would say everything growth-related, everything brand-related, uh, everything from uh, Reed Hoffman's, uh, that's the founder of LinkedIn, uh, his Masters of Scale, which is a different kind of production level, but it talks to some pretty large international entrepreneurs around their journeys and how they started up their companies. Uh, Scott Galloway's The Professor G Show is, a, is another good, good one from Scott Galloway. Uh, Fear and Greed could be a good one. Or the CMO podcast with Jim Stengel is, uh, is another good one. Uh, if we want to look a little bit to, to the local ones that we have here as well, out of yours, of course, then uh, uh, the Lean Mean Marketing teams from Ty Hayes is a good one. The Add to Cart podcast from Nathan Bush, which is predominantly e-commerce focused. Uh, Brand Jam from Scott Oxford is a good one as well. And uh, Adam Frasius, uh, previous podcast when, when he was at uh, EY, which is the Let's Talk Marketing as well. So all of those kind of, those, those are the local podcasts here in Australia that's uh, that's been quite good in really getting some, some some good people on board that I really respect and I look up to. And, uh, and, and there's a lot of learnings from, from from those people so out of yours yeah that's that's a place to, to look for uh, from some interesting stories and narratives in marketing no look thanks a lot and it, just something you said really resonated with me of um there's no one silver bullet in marketing it's there's you know a thousand levers and it's just how how many you pull and how hard you pull on and how you know how hard you pull on certain ones and how much you, you let go and in the amount of times i've chatted to other marketers or, or salespeople and they're like, we must do this one thing. And you're like, if you're only doing one thing, I think you're leaving a whole lot on the table or you're leave, you're just missing a, a whole lot. So that really resonated for me from what you said, because I, t- I totally agree with that. So second question then, um, what's your biggest marketing success and what did you learn from it? It's actually a really tricky question, that one, Martin. Uh, and, and the whole, the best of the worst, I always struggle a little bit with that because I don't really... I don't think too much about it. I, I tend to just do things and then just move move forward. And then there's a new new challenge in the horizon. Um, if you were to think about something recently that that might have been good successes um, for the team, I've, I've, it's going to sound simple, really, but it's not some for me. It's success isn't necessarily making big splashes, a big movement. Sometimes a big success can be having a hypothesis, coming up with a creative hypothesis. Uh, building up a plan of attack around that hypothesis, and then just seeing that plan perfectly executed. 
there's something incredibly satisfying with a smooth and perfectly executed operation uh, that that's incredible that feels incredibly rewarding particularly if you end up being being right in it and you get decent results from it uh, one of the reasons reason ones that we had here at booktopia was uh, um, we we started up a local version of uh, what you might call the New York Times bestseller list. You may have heard about this. It's a big international brand, really. It's the New York Times bestseller list of books. And, and, and I do mean when I call it a brand, because it is a brand. Almost no matter where you go in totally. the world, everybody has heard. They've heard about the New York Times bestseller list and uh, Ergo Ipsum, the New York Times. So a great branding exercise from a, from a renowned company as well. Uh, I wanted to make something similar here. And I want Booktopia to be that that thing that becomes globally renowned or nationally here renowned. So we created something that was called the FAP Award, the Favorite Australian Book Award. You probably haven't heard about it because we, we're not at that level yet. Um, but when we started it, the, the, the point and the purpose was to create a New York Times bestseller list so that all authors should feel that when we hit that list, when we get mentioned on that list, we made it as an, as an author. If you're a publisher and you publish books, then again, if you have an author on that list, wow, you made it as a publishing company and you could attract more authors that want to work with you so you could get more talent into, into your publishing business. So that was the two-pronged approach. And of course, for Booktopia to be the linchpin within that entire ecosystem where we, we become the, the authority in the industry around it. Uh, when we started that a few years ago, it, it had already kind of existed, existed as a, a favorite book or a voting mechanism around books, but there yeah. wasn't really the branded strategic element around it. So it didn't really have much, much success. There were some people that did it, but, but not a lot. So we didn't have many votes. Um, we, I think we had a few thousand votes in the beginning. Uh, don't quote me on that one, but I think it was a few thousand. When we relaunched it as a, as a new brand, new execution around a new strategy around how we were going to be growing it and, and aggregating it, uh, it was very much done with the, the, the power of, of, uh, of influence or aggregation. So looking at who could we work with that could really help this distribute this and how do we tap into the talent pool and the author pool and their uh, fan bases and how we can make sure that it gets distributed across all of those. So how do we activate and weaponize all of the, yeah. the authors out there? Uh, so we made a, a great plan around that. And when we executed the first time, we had 10,000 uh, votes for wow. Australia's favorite books. Uh, the second year, we had 100,000 votes, 100,000 votes. And people who tried something similar would probably go, that's actually quite a lot, 100,000 people <laughs> voting. Um, and when we did that, we had it was perfectly executed. And we looked at each other and said, oh, shit, we're never <laughs> going to beat that next year. Like that, this was yep. really fantastic. So we went back to the drawing table again and, and, and said, uh, we didn't really believe that we could beat it. Uh, but still really doubled down on the strategy and focused on on the you know simple 80 training rule 20 rule how do we make sure that the people that we get on board that we that we make part of this project here are the best possible people that has the highest likelihood and the highest chance of distributing it into their existing ecosystems um, and again a, a, an ironclad focus on that really rough prioritization around it uh, and we just blew it out of the waters again here in the last year i think we were i think we ended on a run 150 or 180,000 votes or something. Wow. Like I, 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 either which way, it was the satisfaction of sitting in a room with people where we laughed and looked at each other and said, we're never going to beat that. And then almost doubling it the next year from doing nothing else than just doubling down on our core strategy and focusing on doing what would really work best the last time rather than trying to reinvent the wheel and come up with something new, but just doubling down on strategy. Uh, so that was an incredibly rewarding moment for the team and, and, and myself included, even though it's 
we didn't make billions of dollars. <laughs> we didn't we did didn't do something by all scales of, of, of growth should be uh, that that fantastic. But it was a great moment that again proves that strong strategy and great execution is critical. Uh, so that was a good moment. Um, I couldn't agree more. I I remember back on about ten or twelve years ago, I was at, with an insurance company. we were, were doing a we're going to a conference, and there was massive corporate hospitality getting thrown around by the really big boys. And there literally was, if you wanted a helicopter ride over the, I think over the Great Barrier Reef or that sort of thing, you know, and we couldn't compete with that. And I remember going, guys, we need to do it simple and just do it, do it well. And we literally hired out um, a local bar and just invited some execs for just literally just a beer and a, a party pie and sausage roll. And it was amazing that the top level execs that had been at the conference year on year and had been, you know, as I said, helicopter rides and, you know, major chefs cooking for them literally turned up in their droves because they just didn't, they didn't need that anymore. And they just literally wanted a beer and a pie and a conversation with some mates. And it was not stepping back and going, exactly what you said, do the simple things correctly and do them well. And that's all And that's all it took. And it was also very much a, a low risk because, you know, compared to 12 helicopters, it was, we just need to put, <laughs> you know, 500 bucks behind a bar or something. But yeah, I, I totally agree. So next question then, the biggest failure and what you've learned from that. I think your keyword there is what you learn from that. I, I don't think yeah. I have any failures. I don't think like that. Um, and, and that sounds a little bit arrogant, and I, and, and I know that. But but I'm, I've, I've chosen to wire my brain a little bit differently. Um, everything is a not now. There's no such thing as a no. Uh, it's only not right now. Or a failure isn't really a failure. It's just learning that it didn't really work that way, and, and you need to change something. You didn't do it the correct way the first time. Um, so I, I consider all of that learnings, and perhaps it's part of the whole entrepreneurial journey that it comes from the old salesperson or um, in me that you know I, I kind of look at it in a very positive way. You know, chasing the nose is, is is a positive mentality to to have uh, chasing the failures uh, is the chase of learnings and knowledge you know and what doesn't work and sometimes knowing what doesn't work is more beneficial and valuable for a business than than trying to figure out what works uh it can certainly save a lot of time if you know something doesn't work it can also be your crux in terms of uh, leading too much into it and saying well this, this didn't work this didn't work the last time so let's not do it today um, but but I think the biggest the biggest failures the, the the biggest learn yeah the biggest failures that I've had is probably just um, not knowing when to stop. You know, I totally agree with you. First of all, it was funny when I was putting the the podcast together. I really struggled with the term biggest failure because I think <laughs> the only time it's a failure is when you don't learn from it, when you don't take that step back post event mm -hmm. and go, okay, what did we learn from it? And I've spoken about it and numerous times on, on this podcast of the best advice I get given was about three months into a role and I remember I was still in probation and we were having to do a pitch to our senior execs and I said look this is what I've done so far and it was everybody globally was was pitching and the CMO said okay so Martin what have you failed at and I'll be honest I'm like I'm three months in I'm still in probation I'm not going to mention anything major and his line was if you've not failed you've not tried anything new just that's it. And I was like, oh, wow. So, and, and I'll be honest, to, to this day, I still stick by that. So, um, yeah. Unless you're working at a, unless you're working at a fire, uh, uh, fireworks company, of course. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not bad. Fireworks, dynamite. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's... 
That's all right. Just get right. Or unless you're a pilot or a doctor or a surgeon. Those things I was going to say heart surgeon, brain surgeon. Yes. <laughs> there are some, yeah. some jobs where you just need to do, do good every day on the job, right? <laughs> so <laughs> very, very good point. <laughs> so no, but, but no, in, but in our, in our industry, no doubt about it, we work as as anybody who works in marketing and in growth is is working in an environment that's moving incredibly fast, fueled and accelerated by technology. You have to experiment all the time to keep up with what's going on right now, and and trying to read and lean into all of that just doesn't work. Um, you know, our industry is absolutely flooded with people with absolutes that says social works or social doesn't work or this works, this doesn't work, and and while it might be a cop out, I very very much lean lean to their methodology. It depends. And you should see, you should try, you should test, see if it works. And it really does depend on so many things. And there's a bit of a call about, but it really does. So I think testing and learning is critical, critically important. And we have we have a lab mentality here, which trial and learn all the time. If you don't have a minimum of one experiment going on right now in our CRM program, you're not doing your job. That is part of the job. Testing and learning and seeing what works and what doesn't work and how they react to everything and anything from colors to assets to demographical overlays and you know, all of it, really. So yeah. Keep testing. No, I, to- I totally agree. And it is that that line of, and I, look, I remember going back to when I was doing my qualification many years ago and, and one of the lectures, again, it's something stayed with me, which was don't judge a marketing program until you've been involved in it. Because it's really easy from a helicopter view to go, well, that didn't work. And you go, well, what was the objective? Was the objective yeah. purely branding? Was the objective that one account that they were going after and they made it look like it was a global account but it, or a global campaign, but they wanted one person to meet and, you know, you, you don't know. So, and I think you've probably almost covered the next question is, what advice would you give to a 21-year-old marketer starting out? Is it test and learn? It, that is spot on what the advice would be. I think at that at that age, there's a hunger already there, you know. There's a hopefully there's a curiosity and inquisitiveness that needs to be satiated, uh, and hopefully, you know, a person who chooses to be in marketing or in areas of marketing, or entrepreneurship in, in general and growth in general, uh, they have that inquisitiveness. And the the best advice is start that website, open up that shop, log into that account, create that account, open up that Facebook ad account, you know, whatever. Like I, I can literally, even though my, my remit is quite different, I can go into Google AdWords today and create an, I create an ad. Like I, I love being being understanding of the tools and why, you know, while there can be arguments, you probably shouldn't be. But knowing what's happening, knowing what's going on and understanding the opportunities is a critical aspect of getting the experience and getting the knowledge into what's possible. And and that is one of the biggest, biggest jobs a marketer have. It's to it's to bridge aspiration with results. You know, figure out and see where we can go or be inspired to what could happen. And then the marketer needs to figure out, well, how do you draw the lines between all those dots on that piece of paper? And that comes from experience. It comes from frame. It, it comes from knowing what is technically possible, humanly possible. And that's why we see the people who succeed the most are those, perhaps those generalists that understands a little bit of everything. Not necessarily everything, but a little bit of everything and get that context and that frame on what could be possible. And, and that's also where... You know, the, the, the biggest advice is diversify your interest, diversify your focus. Don't go too deep in, in one, one thing. Go out and see what else is possible. Experiment and play and have fun with it. That's where the biggest learnings are going to be coming from. And also kind of steer you into figuring out where your passion really lies and where you have an affinity and a talent for. So start that account, open up that web shop, play around, whatever it might be, have a play with it. 
you know, dip your toes in it and see what you like and what you're good at. Mate, I couldn't agree more. And one of the big things for me is that is take the risk, take the risk, take the take the leap of faith. But I, on top of that, you don't know where your learnings are from. I heard a story a couple of years ago from Jamie Oliver that um, he was always having trouble getting the seeds of a pomegranate out until the young apprentice went, my grand taught me you do this. And he went, how can I own like 27 restaurants and not know this? And this young 16-year-old, his grand has taught him. And, and we've all been there. And it is that... You know, you, you think you've got it to the farmer, you know, that is not related to marketing, makes you think something totally different. And when you talked about all the learnings and readings, that's the stuff that you you learn from. You learn from totally different fields and it's having different conversations with with people and, and different insights. So couldn't agree more. And certainly the, the leap of faith of of just go for it, just just take it. I, I presented a few years ago to the marketing society at the University of Melbourne and got chatting to to one of the students afterwards. And one of his big things was, I don't have any marketing contacts. I'm like, I bet you do. You probably just don't know who they are. And after a couple of minutes, um, it actually worked out that he went to school with my nephew, which made me feel really old, but he went to school with my, my nephew. And my thing was, if you'd went out onto your social media channels or just even your phone, take your phone and text everybody on your phone to say, I need to speak to a marketer. Who can I get some advice from? I'm certain my nephew would have went back with my name and we could have been having this chat six months ago. And it is that, you know, open up your phone, you know, take a risk or go out and do a post on Facebook or whatever social media channel going and need some advice. And you'll be gobsmacked at who actually goes, okay. I'll give you 20 minutes type thing, you know? So yeah, that's, and I think it, it lines up with, with you of just taking that, taking that risk, you know? That, but I think you're touching on a very important point as well, which is humbleness and, uh, and accepting when we're wrong and when there's new learning to be had. And I think it's, it, it's easy to go down the, the rabbit hole of arrogance to, I guess, to a degree. And, that example that you just gave me with Jamie Oliver is a clear example of somebody who's still humble, you know, somebody who's still saying, I'll just yep. learn something new. It's great. Uh, now I'm going to adopt it. And, and it reminds me of what well, I saw a clip with an interview of, uh, of Elon Musk and polarizing as he may be, and people can have their views on it. It was a bit of an aha moment for me when I saw this interview of Elon Musk uh, going out with a journalist and Elon is explaining how the, some, rockets are working clearly not a rocket scientist here so <laughs> excuse the terminology yeah. um but but some some kind of rocket that was that was getting some some specific kind of treatment um and then the journalist says oh yeah and then you could do that on these other rockets and england stops for a second looks at them looks up in the air scratches his other thing it is and can go uh yeah we sh- yeah we should do that actually actually that's a great idea we should totally do that and then he's, we're gonna do that and you should you should look for that clip. It's it's an absolutely mind mind-boggling moment because you, you think that this is a very, very, very uh, famous engineer that's famous for his very specific antics uh, wouldn't behave like that and wouldn't be like that and would always know best, if if you will, but uh, clearly not the case. Uh, and it was it was a very refreshing moment for for me to again see, even though you know we all Many people aspire for it, but I didn't think that that person was like that. So it was a good moment. I was going to say, I've seen that clip and the one I saw is seven months later, they were bringing in whatever the journalist had had suggested and that's... And yeah, they'd done it. I remember. Biggest thing for Tesla. Uh, yeah. Oh, SpaceX, actually. SpaceX, yeah. Um, and I remember years ago hearing a, a story about um, 
it was a, a match a matchbox um, manufacturer, so you know made made matches, and they used to have the um, have the sandpaper on both sides because when it was first starting, the wood wasn't that good. And the wood had improved, they'd never changed it. And it literally was the guy on his first day going, why do you have it on both sides? And it suddenly saved them a stupid <laughs> amount of money. And it is that. And, and a lot of the time I'll, I'll actually talk to my kids because they don't have all the historical, you know, what what I see as knowledge, but also as baggage. And they can go, mm. dad, why don't you do it that way? And you're like, oh my God. You know, and it's, I think it's wonderful. And that's it. So I think having that, almost that tribe to help you or having, not having, you're saying that, that arrogance to go, how can I learn from, from someone? So yeah, absolutely brilliant answer. Yeah. Um, Ch- challenge everything and, and be open and honest to, to new facts when you're being presented with them. I think that's important. Yeah, cool. Um, what do you think is the next biggest thing in marketing in the next 12 months? Oh, you know, I, I love and hate that question, Martin. Um, it's one, it's one of those where, we're we're in an industry that's absolutely flooded in buzzwords, and and you know you you ask a lot of people the same question. They will say, "Oh, AR, VR, uh, you know, AI, AI, and et cetera, et cetera." Um, look, and I think all these are fascinating things. But, but but I had a sobering moment here a few years back where somebody that that I look up to was asked the same question, and and the person who won over the crowd in that room was uh, was the person who talked person who talked about all these fancy gimmicks and all these things that's peripherally you know they're going to be great in the future for us but are not right now it does not make business or operational changes uh, of any significance right now they're cute they're interesting but they don't make operational or financial or profitability changes or EBITDA contributions um, and and so so my question would be there would be no big things the next 12 months none nada and that would be because when we get macro changes, seismic changes, the changes, you know, everything that we're doing, it typically only comes when human beings changes their behavior significantly. When we move as a society, the way that we behave and the way that we engage with things, when that moves, opportunities move with it. So I don't think there will be any big change, big, big changes uh, here in the next 12 months. Uh, if Apple is coming out with their search engine, I don't consider that to be a big change. It is more of the same thing. That's just another con- competitor. So there'll be a lot of micro changes that might sound like it's macro, but it's not really because it, you know, was it really that big of a change when people were shifting from Netscape to Internet Explorer? It's just a different browser. It's a different tool. If they go between Apple device or Samsung device, is that a macro change or is that a micro change? It's just shifting brands and technology and functions that's already there. So I don't think there are any big changes in, in marketing over the next 12 months. I think we'll keep hearing the same buzzwords as we've been hearing the last 12 years or 15 years, which is personalization, is table stakes, CDPs, DMPs, et cetera, et cetera. But what I think we're going to be seeing over the next 12 months is a bit more of that. There'll be more competition. So I think it's going to be more accessible for middle-level uh, organizations where a lot of new startups easier penetration. It's easier to get into these things. It's easier getting access to cheaper technology that can do that. I think that will go out and, and make the barrier of entry to becoming a retailer or owning your business. Getting access to technology is just going to be easier. It's going to be cheaper. It's going to be more um, more accessible. So I think these are the things that we will see gradual improvement with, but no other really big, massive thing right now. Facebook has been working on you know, their, their meta uh, their uh, Mark Mark's foray into uh, realizing what was it Spielberg's Player One or whatever it was that the idea of the human race living in a in a digital world world collectively and owning that space 
but there's nothing new in that either. Like we're, we're, we're jumping at the bit, like this is a new thing. You know, you had Second Life like 15 years ago, 1998, whatever it was. Uh, and, and many other digital ecosystems have been evolving since then. Every single gaming company CEO will laugh their butts off right now and kind of go, yeah, you know what? The GTA Online has existed for God knows how long. And WoW has been existing since, you know, we, we're talking when WoW, World of Warcraft, which is an online multi-level yeah. something, you know, yeah. people playing uh, playing role-playing games online. I think at its peak, you know, at its, at its height, it had somewhere between 30 to 40 million players playing that game online. Minecraft hit that that one as well. Fortnite, all these games are communities. They're digital worlds. They're digital communities where people can engage and have fun with each other and etc. It's nothing new here. It's just a different kind of soup. Still yeah. soup. <laughs> so I, I think what we will see is uh, I'll see, I think we'll see more of that. I'll see, I think we'll see collective reframing of what it is and how it needs to work and going away from the whole meta worlds and all that into yeah, just digital communities. And when we get a little bit more mature as humans, we will stop using the word digital, a little bit like digital marketing. It's just marketing. It doesn't need to call, be called digital anymore. It's okay. It's okay. We, we have matured to a level where it's just marketing. <laughs> I think that, that's what we're going to be seeing. Absolutely nothing but everything, but just a little bit more of everything. Certainly on the digital thing, I, I did a, a digital course and I remember saying when I was doing it, going, this is just marketing and the idea of a digital specialist, you know, what's not linked to digital now and everything's linked to digital, but, you know, and it's also just, yeah, we just, just got on with it. And I think probably the, the you're saying, say the metaverse, there's going to be a lot of people, I think, run towards it and it'd be totally irrelevant to them. And there'll be a lot of people burn a lot of cash doing the we need to be in. It reminds me of, you know, when apps were coming in and people were like, we need to have an app. And you're like, but but why? Because we need to have an app. Okay, I'm <laughs> exactly. going to come back exactly. and ask you, can I ask you the yeah, question yeah. again? But but why? And a bit, oh, one man. of the answers at times was because my competitor does. Yeah, but is there any value? Yeah. And and you spot in the, you spot on there and I, and I remember that that conversation became more and more interesting as as the technologies to to develop great front end code and you know be more responsive. I remember the shift you know from when you couldn't really have proper responsive front uh, front end and go actually go proper multi device uh, sizes on on your on your <laughs> on your front end code. And, but that shift from that being possible and what front-end engineers could actually develop and what they could do and create the scalabilities that are required for multi-device multi uh, usability, that shift, there was still a lot of people who were resistant to it. And kids still went, we need an app to do e-commerce. No, you don't. No, you don't. It's not necessary. Why do you want that? And you still and you still have a lot of people tying into that. Look, fair enough. You can talk about how there's a, uh, how you can lock them in, how there's some advantages in the marketing around having an app. can be quite interesting too in, in terms of, you know, repeat updates and getting people sort of back into your ecosystem, some extra functionalities that you can provide to your, to your customers. So there are, there can be some legit reasons to have that, but for most retailers, uh, you know, what you can provide to your customers doesn't necessarily change based on whether you have a separate app or, or your, or your, your primary selling platform. So it's an interesting one, but it's also um, a typical marketing um, one. Something I heard recently was, and I think it's the Prime Minister of India has actually brought out his own app. And I quite like, in theory, the idea of, oh, he owns the channel, he can push out what information he wants, etc. I'd like to see it in three months' time and how many people are <laughs> actually interacting with it. Like, in theory, the idea of, oh, he can put out all his press conferences totally and everybody can sit and watch them. I don't know about you, but I don't have time to read the newspaper at times or or check check um 
you know, check with what my kids are doing. The idea of I'm going to sit and watch a 25 minute press conference. And again, I'm, I'm not sure, but in theory, the, the app's great. I would like to, as I said, I'd like to see it in three to six months time to go, is there actually, how many people are, are properly interacting with it? So, yeah. Uh, I, I could see, I could see legit reason why, you know, one government, that could be interesting, you know, having like a governmental app where there could both be something that, you know, directly from the president or whatever, or the, whatever you might have, you know, I think that could, that could be quite interesting that there should be a channel like that directly to you know, the public um, that could again, be the voice of the cabinet or be the voice of the ministers or whatever it might be and have something a little bit more centralized, but a little bit more up to date. But I think, I think our existing people here are doing a great job in, in bringing, bringing digital to the, to the agenda. What is it? Dominic, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, our, our digital minister right now. Forgot in New South Wales, I I follow him religiously on. Yeah, on same. LinkedIn he's good. And, he's good. I love it. Oh, he's like, brilliant. He's like a mate, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 uh, Dominic Monello or something. I forgot his name. I think so. Um, but um, yeah, I follow him religiously, and it is that. And it's again, I think it comes back to what we're saying. He's doing what should be done simply. Like it's not like there was something I read about people changing their names and saying you can go to one place you know, say that you change your name for, for getting married, getting divorced, whatever. And then I believe all the other agencies can automatically contact them when you go, I want to change my license. And it's not sending one bit of paper to 27 agencies. And I remember just going, that's such a simple solution. And really, you know, it's it not, it, sorry, going back to Musk, it's not rocket science. It's not. No, it's but, not. <laughs> but just, yeah, just doing things, then there's things simply um yeah that's that's great so final final question and thank you so much for your time so tell us something we don't know about you i have a lot of plants cool (laughs) probably that's probably it it's a look uh it's one of those hobbies that i never thought that i would ever have have but uh you know being being a parent and being a little bit more homebound uh changed that and then um, there just came a point where I got a little bit interested in, in, in getting a few more plants and nursing them. And now it's ended up with me having somewhere around 200, 250 different kinds of plants uh, in, in my home right now. Watering them takes like two and a half hours, but it's become like very med- meditative, really. It's a bit of an exercise in uh, in stay, staying calm. And, uh, and and yeah, I relax with that. So that's probably one thing that I don't think people would expect, but uh, a bit of green thumbs. Do a lot of uh, propagation myself. It is amazing those things that can, you know, become Zen, can give you meditation. I I ride a bike and it's nothing that far, but it's purely I can go out for half an hour, you know, twice a week. And especially if I've got a, a work problem and just jump on the bike, do half an hour. And years ago, I'd have been like, I'm not a mammal. I'm not into, you know, it certainly don't give me lycra and everything. And I've totally jumped on board, but I can I can totally see the idea of, of growing some plants and just having that that time on your own. So yeah, it's a new learning as well. It's it's also part of the whole experimenting and failing and the amount of death death of plants that I've been causing over <laughs> over my my learn my learning period has been uh, significant. So no, and and it's a good one because it's so hard to understand the you know the exact cause and effect. It's not you're not getting direct results or direct you know you don't really know too much water, too little water, too much sun, too little sun, too much manure, whatever pH. Values and acidity and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's that degree of 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 uh, 
figuring it out without really fully understanding it and just going with the flow that you know that that whole idea of you don't need to know everything you need to be able to move forward while not having certainties and, and there's something around that in plants and growing plants as well especially when you're doing with with tough breeds and and, and dna mutations where they, they behave a little bit different than what you want which makes it interesting you know also super fucking annoying when they're dying but uh yeah <laughs> learning Delman. um Seven, thank you so much for your time today. I think everybody, every listener is going to get a huge amount um, out of this. So look, thank you um, so much. Thanks, Martin. It was a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed the latest episode of Six Questions with a CMO brought to you by Brandwatch. If you'd like to access other episodes of the podcast or gain insights into your brand, go to brandwatch.com slash CMO dash podcast. Thank you.